This episode of Category Is is brought to you by Paper Genius Greeting Cards, where inspiration plus creativity equals genius. Friends, now more than ever, it's important to spread love, encouragement, and appreciation. But don't say it in a text. Say it with a high-quality, beautifully handcrafted card from Paper Genius. These stunning cards and personalized greetings will surely be appreciated and cherished by your friends and family. Celebrate the special people in your life by sending an impeccably crafted, handmade card from Paper Genius. With a continually expanding inventory, Paper Genius is stocked with stylish and stunning cards perfect for every occasion. Check them out at thepapergenius.etsy.com. That's thepapergenius.etsy.com. Use promo code REALNESS for 15% off your order. I'm Justin. I'm Maurice, and you're listening to Category Is. What's up, Maurice? <laughs> What's up? Good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I was rubbing my eyes, so it's like I'm seeing the stars, but uh, I'm good. You got allergies my, or something? My allergies are fucking up, and the Zyrtec's okay. not helping. I can't go to the um, doctor and get a shot because that's elective. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, How you fun. doing? I'm good. I'm good. I um, had a busy weekend, but, you know, I'm back up to it on Monday. Busy doing what, bitch? Oh, just different, just different stuff. Some projects oh. and things. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then um, we went to Trader Joe's the other day. And you know how they have, like, the lineup of people waiting, like, down the block and around the corner. And right. so, you know, we were waiting for, like... I think 30 minutes to get into the store. And so uh-huh. by the time we got to the front, we had like devised our strategy or like what we're going to do and like how we're going <laughs> to basically attack the store. Cause we're thinking the store is going to be like completely full. That's why they're not letting um, people in that much. And so um, we get in, we get our car and we just take off running, like grabbing shit, putting it in the, in the buggy and like running through the store. And then we get to the end of one aisle and I stop and I'm like, wait, hold up. I started looking around and it's like completely empty in the store. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. The, st- the stores have been doing that because I'd be going mm-hmm. to Home Depot to like get cleaning supplies and plants and paint because I'd be doing home improvements and shit. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the store be so empty because it only let a certain amount of people. But it's a big yeah. box store and you'd be in there and it's like nobody. It's like yeah. no workers, no other customers they can pop i feel like they can double it up but again i'm gonna leave that to the experts i don't know you know people out here still getting the rona so mm-hmm. it's tough yeah. but i'm yeah. about that curbside life i took my dog to the vet today because she a little mm-hmm. sick and the curbside was nice i like sitting in my car yes come get my dog yes <laughs> take her in yes call me call me with the diagnosis pay over oh, the phone man. it was nice i'm liking this lack of human contact like when, when you it comes to, to certain Sonic. things, it was very like Sonic. They come out on roller skates. That would have been hot. That would have been real nah, hot. No thanks. But yeah, how you been? I've been good. You know, it's the day. It's kind of like Groundhog's Day. It's like sometimes like Monday. Mm. I'll, I'll be working out every day. Um, <laughs> 
But that's because I'm just bored. Um, again, I have an addiction. That's my dog barking. She's seeing that <laughs> quite clearly. Bitch cannot be quiet. We're recording, Lola. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, I'm buying a lot of stuff on Amazon. So I think that that's just because I'm bored. Uh-huh. And Amazon be coming to my house like it'd be four different Amazon trucks in a day. Oh wow. It's pretty bad. That's so I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna try to go a week without owning stuff on Amazon. I think I can do it. Yeah. Try it out. I haven't ordered I haven't ordered anything yet, if you count. Today. Well since <laughs> Saturday since Saturday I haven't ordered anything. Okay. You still so have- we started the week. I still got what? It was Sunday, Monday. So yeah, two more days. I mean, no, yeah. no, five more nah. days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're gonna make it. But no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, uh-huh. how have you been? I've been good. I've been great. You know, keeping my wine. What you drinking this week? Oh, so this week I got another vodka soda. Basically, I have um, some frozen pineapple in it as like the ice cube. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was gonna do a, a pineapple margarita because I saw a recipe on Instagram, but it looked a little salty. This is taking it way back. But remember <laughs> my remember my old friend Justin? He used to make the bomb pineapple margaritas. Did he? he I always did. remember him making like remember- rum punch. No, that was the other people that were like the, um, the compression shirts at the beach. Who I was talking about uh, is man. No, no, we, I mean, me and Justin, we're like, you know, just drifted. We're not, um, I mean, you know how it is. But he, in Delaware, he used to make those bomb yeah. ass pineapple margaritas. He used to be so fun. But yes, I'm just drinking Cabernet, a good old okay. Cab. I kept it easy. I was going to make like an old fashioned, but then I had to go get, mm, I was out of. Much. I was out of aromatic bitters, and I was like, no, not on today. Are the, liquor, get. are the liquor stores in Jersey open? Yes, they is. They're very okay. much so open because it okay. is what? Essential. Oh, the ones in Philly. You need your groceries, um, you need your liquor. That's right. It should be. So Pennsylvania has these antiquated laws where they have like a separate liquor store they sell like liquor and wine and then they have a separate beer distributor and right in the south you can buy all of that at the grocery store down at the cvs uh no not quite oh no no that's (laughs) that's in vegas that's in vegas (laughs) and and new orleans yes Mm -hmm. but like here in pennsylvania all of the um liquor stores close because they're state workers and when they first announced that they were going to open them back up, they only opened the premium liquor stores, which were in the affluent neighborhoods. So they okay. caught some backlash. Why? Right. You know? And they caught some backlash from that. But they're doing curbside pickup now. Curbside is a business. I love the yeah. curbside. Yeah. It's just, it's doing, it's, it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're understanding that, like, we don't need as much human interaction as we thought we needed due to this virus. Like, it's ways to streamline processes to limit human interaction. And as right. someone who likes human interaction, it's not always necessary. And sometimes it can frustrate things. So I'm just trying to find the good in mm-hmm. things, you know, that that's silver lining. Yeah. 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 All right. 
let's get into the categories for the week. Yes, let's top of the categories. Category is, category is, category, category, category is. is. Um, so, <laughs> my bad. First category this week is Insecure, season four. Um, Justin caught up over the weekend, finally. Finally. Yeah. And we'll never get those, we'll never get those two and a half hours back. <laughs> well, you've done worse in Ooh. two and a half hours, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was episode six, and um, it's basically like the follow up episode. They had the Issa and Molly, who were best friends, had this huge blow up argument. Um, in the last episode. So it was kind of dealing with the fallout of that. Um, the entire season has been kind of this build up to this huge underlying conflict that these two main characters have been having. Like they've been best friends for a long time. And we start off the season with Issa saying she doesn't fuck with Molly anymore. And we have to figure out why. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is my thing. I talked about it on a prior episode where I uh-huh. felt like the first two seasons of Insecure, I was really hyped and excited because Issa had done Aqua Black Girl on her YouTube show, mm-hmm. and I was just trying to support. And at that phase in my life, I was very, I was like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, working a job I didn't like, In that I, I identified a lot with Issa. Okay. I, actually, my whole trajectory has been very Issa-like, like, bitch, been breakups, lost jobs, like, it was, it was rough out here, <laughs> but I don't know, I feel like the past two seasons, I've had, I haven't identified with the characters as much, and okay. I feel like the theme of this season is not so much based on, like, romantic relationships as it is based on friendships, but mm-hmm. I think that what people neglect to recognize is, is that relationships of all sorts take work whether they're platonic whether they're romantic they're work they they need time to be nurtured and grown and there's going to be disputes and arguments there's going to be communication that needs to happen to work through these things Mm -hmm. um and i think at least for me the older i get the less tolerance i have for drama in my relationships if they're not feeding me then I can't devote energy to them. And I feel like this uh, this season, I will say, is really well written in that it's not anything that's like salacious or scandalous or like over the top mm-hmm. in terms of drama. It's kind of just mundane stuff that happens well, in everyday life. I mean, this, the, the, I mean, I did watch the last episode. This last episode was kind of like... I think it was just a filler episode. Yeah, episode yeah. before that was when they were at the block party, and that was the that was the height of the drama. That was the climax mm-hmm. of the season thus far. Um, but when I say like it's mundane, is is that it kind of just shows like the gradual deterioration of a friendship. And I think that anybody who's lived a, a certain amount of time here on Earth has been both in Molly and Issa's place, so it's totally yeah. totally relatable. That's what I will yeah. say. Yeah, and, um, you know, they have been friends for a long time. I don't know the, the exact backstory of, like, how they met and things. Um, but 
they've been friends for a long time. They, you know, have these layers of their friendship. On paper, Molly is the more successful one. Issa is the one who's, you know, still kind of getting her. Figuring it out. Yeah, figuring it out, getting her stuff together. Um, so I do think that, you know, over the course of the seasons, we have seen them support each other and be there for each other as friends. But Issa is, you know, she had lost her job. She went on this journey of creating this block party after they went to Coachella and she was getting fucked on that Ferris wheel <laughs> by um, Ghost Bay. And then she decides she wants to, you know, host an, her own kind of event like that in her own community. So she goes on this journey to do that. She ends up meeting um, a girl who's kind of, I don't know what she does, event plan or whatever. PR. And, yeah, something. And, you know, they start working together, you know, on developing this block party. Fast forward and they figure out that her name's Condola. So Condola is dating Lawrence, who is Issa's very recent ex. Boyfriend. Who she met at Tiffany's baby shower. Yeah, and Tiffany knew that they was dating, and she didn't tell. Because <laughs> that wasn't Tiffany's business to tell. Well, well, it, it, yeah, it was. Because it wasn't like it was a girl who, you know, worked down in the mail room or something. Like she knew Condola's name. She came by her office. They had talked about she the relationship. She could have given her a heads up. She could have given yeah. her a heads up. Well, she could have said something to Issa to let her know or even said to Condola, hey girl you working on this project with my home girl or this girl is in my friend group but so throughout the course of this when she finds it out you know she and essentially starts trying to befriend Condola because she doesn't want it to, to make it awkward that you know they have a mutual they're Eskimo sisters basically Right. So, oh, I never uh, hear that term. I was like, Eskimo brothers. Like Eskimo brothers, yeah. But all the gays are sluts. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and so, Molly, when she learns about this, she says to Issa, "You know, your life doesn't have to be this messy." And I think that's the one statement that everyone who's Team Issa is holding on to and like using that against Molly, saying that Molly's a hater, that Molly's, you know doesn't want to see Issa successful. But I think it's just, it boils down to, you're not, like, it's okay if you found that out and you just continue to work together and then say, all right, girl, you know, after this project, I don't want things to get messy or confusing. I'm going to set a professional boundary and we're just going to work together. And then after that, you know, we'll see. It was right. essentially like she was trying to befriend her. And then not replace Molly. Maybe Molly felt there was some kind of replacement Molly potential. definitely felt replaced. Yeah. But I, I understand why she felt that way. I don't identify with that feeling, but I, I get why Molly might have felt that way. Um, I, mean, so, I mean, this is my thing. I feel like when Molly, going back to that statement you said, when Molly said, your life doesn't have to be this messy. Because that mm -hmm. was like the first episode. You know, I feel like that was an opportunity where your best friend was checking you. And let's all, let, I'm gonna keep it straight. Uh, like, I don't think he was I, checking her. You don't think Molly was checking her? No. But go you ahead, don't think go Molly ahead, was finish. acting, 
I feel like Molly was acting as a mirror. So I'm going to just say it for me. Like, for me personally, I have, as everyone knows who listens to the podcast, I got my first circle of friends. That first circle. And it's, it has, it's three women in my life and it's three men in my life with that first circle. That's my core. Within that circle, all six of y'all have different personalities. Y'all are different individuals. I go to one of those six individuals based upon the feedback that I know I'm going to get. That you want to hear, yeah. That I want to hear. Mm-hmm. In that moment, Molly told Issa something that she didn't want to hear. Right. And then later on in the season, they were shopping in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And this was when, um, I guess, Issa had seen Lawrence and Condola kissing at like a, a coffee shop or whatever. And she was trying to, she was telling Molly. And it was Molly, that was an instance of Molly knowing Issa mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. Issa not acknowledging it. And it, Molly was like, girl, you, you sure you're cool with that? And Molly was, and Issa was like, yeah, but she clearly was not. Was not. And yeah. I feel like I'm not on either team because, again, I feel like everyone who's lived to a certain point in their life has been both Issa and Molly. I know I've been Issa. My life has been a mess. I've been self-absorbed. I've been trying to, like, build up to something. I've also been Molly, and I've been insecure and jealous and, you know, unsure. But this is where I stand. It's, to me, I feel like there's some tension within the friendship. Mm -hmm. And if you have any friendships that last a long time, you know, our friendship, our friendship's been, what, almost 12 years. There's been tension at times that we have to address. Friendships take work. Um, but to me, I feel like Molly was straight up and was like, look, clearly something's up with us. Let's talk, you know, at mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Was that mm-hmm. the first one? Okay. Um, Molly. Yeah. Like have been, yeah. It's that, it was like something was off, but Molly mm-hmm. initiated saying, look, something's off with us. When they were in the grocery store, she's like, let's, let's talk. She's like, all right, Thanksgiving. They still mutually agreed upon date. I don't think Thanksgiving was a good time. It wasn't. But then, but then Molly's, but again, this shows that, you know, Issa always comes over every Thanksgiving, but then Issa's mom's boyfriend threw his back out and they went to Chinese. Okay. Yeah. Like, and Molly was there waiting to be heard or waiting to address issues within their friendship. Then there was another time on a hike, but then they didn't address it then. And then there was another time when she met Issa at the coffee shop that Condola showed her, but then mm-hmm. Condola was there, so they was couldn't there, talk about yeah. them. My thing is, Molly was trying to talk with Issa over a three-month period about issues in their friendship. And Issa was avoiding it. Yeah. And to me, I feel like I identify more with Molly in that sense, so I guess you can call me Team Molly. I'm not Team Molly or Issa, I'm Team Right. And I, I was rolling with Issa up until, up until Molly said, she called Molly after she lost her headliner. Uh-huh. And she was like, hey, girl, can you get your boyfriend to help me out? And, you know, Molly was in, at work in the middle of a project, writing a brief probably, but she was focused. She was like, yeah, girl, I'll help you out. Because she felt that sense of obligation. And she was probably just also not really in an emotional space. But then she called her back. And a grown, she's a grown woman. She's allowed to change her mind. And she's like, you know what? I don't want to mix the two, my, person, mm-hmm. my, my, my relationship and my friendship. I want to set this boundary. I'm not going to ask him. She basically told that to Issa. For Issa to yeah. go behind her back and ask Nathan to ask him. Well, as, there's... As a, as a proxy, was totally another, There's another layer to that, too, because... So, Issa and um, the guy from Coachella, Nathan, who's Ghost Bay, uh-huh. who ghosted her and, like left for like half the season 
and she hasn't really talked to since then. I don't think she has talked to him since then. She hasn't. And then he's roommates with Asian Bay, who is the guy that Molly Andrew is say, he's my, sleeping he's with. He's my favorite character. He could get it. Yes. I don't like his haircut this season. Like he should have had the long. He should have kept the long hair because he's the ponytail so is something. No, not with that that haircut he has now. I like but, that all. No, but <laughs> so Issa hasn't talked to Ghost Bay in probably a year. Well, I don't know how the time gap in a while at that point. She goes behind Molly's back and asks, well, she's up in the middle of the night. She goes behind Molly's back, starts DMing Ghost Bay on Instagram and asks him to ask his roommate, Asian Bay, who's Molly's boyfriend. For the favor that she that Molly say, nah, girl, this is the boundary I don't want to cross. Like right. I would, and so I, I don't want you. I don't want you getting. I don't want my boyfriend involved in this whatsoever. Yeah. Either yeah. through me or through anyone else. So if you respect me as your best friend, you're gonna respect that boundary. And to me, I am fiercely protective of my romantic relationships. I want my friends and my boyfriend to get along. But my man's my man at the end of the day, and not that he trumps my friend, but it's a different kind of relationship. And it's a different kind right. of priority. And when you violate, when, when I expressly tell you that I want to keep you separate, if you mm-hmm. deliberately disobey me on some Mufasa shit, oh, bitch, you're done. You're done to me. And that to me was the tipping point that had me team Molly. Okay. Do you feel, are you team Molly? I'm more team Molly. Um, I, I feel like I'm in the minority. I feel like most people are team Issa. Most people are. Um, I because understand. That, that, People refuse to address their bullshit. That's why. That's well, I understand, you know, people saying that, you know, Issa was in a bind. It was a few days, a week maybe before the whole block party. And that's she not needed, Molly's job. And she needed help. And Molly, they say Molly refused to help her, which, I mean, she kind of did. But, but she has that right. But in confirmation of what Molly had said to Issa, you know, beforehand about getting things messy, once Condola and Lawrence had some drama, they broke up or whatever, Condola stopped answering Issa's phone calls. And now that put her even more in a bind because the PR person who was supposed to be helping you is nowhere to be found either. And so, you know, had there been had Issa, had Issa listened to Molly in the beginning and said, you know, hey girl, Condola, we need to set up a professional boundary and we strictly working on this together and it's gonna be, you know, no mixing of anything else, then maybe, right. you know, she would have had that assist at the last minute, you know? So I just, I, I understand the both sides. You said you're on team right, but I feel like both of them were kind of right. I wouldn't say. No, no it's, it's nuanced, but to me, I am with a certain camp because there was a, a tipping point that was passed. I was team. Mm-hmm. I could see both their sides up until the point where Molly, I mean, Easton did what she did. And then to me, what was upsetting was like, Molly was trying to talk with you about issues with the friendship for over three months. And, you know, now Andrew's become her man. They're solid. They're in a good place after, you know, mm-hmm. storming and forming their relationship. You call me want me to ask my man for a favor, but you didn't even like hear me out about my internal conflicts about solidifying a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But then to me at the block party, correct me if I'm wrong, 
what if Issa was like, oh, you don't even like him like that? Um, and that's what prompted Molly to pop off. Mm-hmm. I remember, because, like, Molly was like, you know, it wasn't really cool for you to reach out to Andrew. And she was like, why are you getting upset? Like, he don't even mean nothing to you. And I was like, Molly, that's how, Issa, that's how out of the loop you are mm-hmm. with Molly's situation, because that's her whole man now. And, like, I do agree that, like, that was not the right time or place to have it that wasn't. discussion. Yeah. And Molly was wrong for that. Mm-hmm. But it does show how Issa is kind of a user. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because fast because like forward. you wanted you wanted me to ask this dude who met who you who you thought meant nothing to me to do a favor for you, but you clearly didn't hear me that I said I want to keep this boundary separate because that's my relationship. Molly, Issa's so trapped up in her own shit, and I get that Molly well, has her issues with her. She's not perfect. She was. She, I mean. Understandably, yes, she was in a bind. And, you know, sometimes when you are backed into a corner, you got to do what you got to do. And so I can't, you can't really, but you can't, but you can't really, I mean, you can't fault her because I think that most of us would have probably exhausted every, you know, possible way we could get this block party to pop and do whatever we needed to do at that point. and but maybe the, she, but maybe she is, felt, but maybe she felt that burning this friendship because she knew what she was doing because she did it behind her back, and right. nobody told her about. Nobody told Molly what happened, so she knew. So Issa knew the consequences of how this could play out. So she right. accepted those consequences. So maybe she felt, I got to do this by any means necessary, and if it cost me this friendship, then that's collateral damage because i need this well that's pop. and maybe well, that's well, why molly is also well, that's thinking. pretty indicative that's pretty indicative of where the friendship is at right yeah. but molly was still a supportive friend like i know what me and her not in good terms but i'm gonna still go and support her then you know she always needs me she's always you know i'm always there to bail her out and that gets exhausting when you feel like a friendship's always one way and it's not reciprocal and it does it has nothing to do with like status or income all molly wanted was to just meet with her friend in a three-month period and talk about mm-hmm. issues within their friendship and i guarantee you that if isa would have taken carved out an hour to actually have a meaningful discussion with molly molly would mm-hmm. have no problem doing out doing that favor or isa she right. showed up she supported but the, it had been building it was a pressure cooker it had been building over three months mm-hmm. and it popped off when she learned some shit that you crossed the boundary that uh, i drew a line in the scene and you was like fuck you and that's how i took it yeah and so fast forward to this episode this week and it was like you said it was a filler episode it was kind of more um just exposition really just not really much going mm-hmm. on um she spent 10 minutes in the car with that old man just driving him around. And I was like, girl, this is only a 30-minute episode. You can't be right. using that but much time shows. on this. But she's lost. She, she's try, she was trying to like do a, a random act of kindness. But Yeah, because she, I think she felt guilty. She felt guilty for what, what she, she had did done. to Molly. Yeah. And, and she's so, trying to redeem herself. Yeah. And then so Ghost Bay calls her and he was like, I guess trying to get back talking to her and in communication. And you could tell like by her tone and like the words she was using is that she's almost admitting that she used him just for that connection. And she, yeah. 
She did. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, you want to meet up? And, and she's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sounds good. But they didn't make any, like, solid plans. Right. Yeah. But then, but then check it. So then she goes and she hangs out. It's because she's lonely. She's looking for companionship, friendship, because she burned all her bridges. Even with Kelly, who's, yeah. like, the most likable character ever. And from then she Philly. Goes right, right, right. From Philly. I'm from Philly, bitch. That was the funniest <laughs> thing that happened all week. But yeah. then, you know, she goes out with these girls from like DC and PG County at the paint night. And Kyle they, hustled, they hustled the fuck out of her. But like, it was a taste of her own method. It was karma. They used her for their fun, for their amusement, and for a free yeah. meal. Basically. So Kyla Pratt, who was Penny Proud, <laughs> um, was on the episode. She played the girl who's getting married. And so they meet at like a paint like a paint and sip situation and there was an empty seat so Issa just happens to sit there they you know get drunk on a jug of Pinot Noir that Issa got from oh, the grocery store the, uh, the, the Carla Rossi yeah yeah and then um the girls invite Issa to go you know drinking at a bar with them and then you know they go they're eating they're laughing they're kicking and then did you see when they went to the bathroom, Issa and one of the girls, they go into the stalls, but they yeah. didn't put no toilet paper on that seat. They sat right on there. They sat bare ass on that toilet seat. Like, girl, you got to lace it first. You got to put some toilet paper down or something. Or that little but sheet that the, the, Yeah. Or, or squat. The seat, the seat cover. Yeah, I heard most of the girls squat, but they didn't put <laughs> nothing, nothing down on that seat. Girl. But that's but that serves her out. She right, she got gooped right she after got that. Gooped. Yeah. Gooped. But yeah, I mean, it's it's somewhat entertaining. I'm interested to see what the I guess there's what? Three episodes left? It looks like the next episode, Molly and her boo go with his family to like yeah. some island. No, they and go to Mexico. Cute. Oh, it's Mexico? Okay. Yeah, I'm like so, so they um Next, so there's what seven eight there's four episodes left so they got an increase in their episode order from eight episodes to ten but it seems okay. like so this episode was a filler and the next episode Total is gonna filler. be another filler another filler so it's like girl oh wait. maybe yeah yeah because the but, next episode focuses totally on molly yeah relationship yeah i think but it's I more like, like i think it's more of like a capsule episode where it's like they just stay in one location the whole time. So yeah, I love her in Asian Bay. Andrew's my favorite character. Um, I don't know. His name is Xavier Hodge in real life. I follow him okay. on Instagram. He got a he got a black girlfriend. Everything. Oh okay. Art imitates he's, life. Oh yes, he, but he's just so fine to me. But do you know he's British? I think I did. He has like this funky, like it's it's not a regular British accent. It's like mm-hmm. British meets like Yonkers. It's hella weird. Okay. <laughs> oh, but that was a that was a pretty thorough and decent recap. I have nothing <laughs> else to say. Do you? Um, no. I just I'm interested to see where it goes. Like, I don't think it's like really explosive drama. It's more like it's relatable kind of undertones, undercurrent. Yeah. Right. But we'll see. Right. Well, going from lack of drama to a lot of drama, 
let's keep this brief because I need lots of the last part two. Uh-huh. But Real Housewives of Atlanta virtual reunion. Um, have you watched? I watched it. I did not like it. Because um, the first, okay, go ahead. The first episode was really good. It was almost like you were, they were in the same room together, except for right. Portia, who was like all the way turned up, and it was not that serious. Um, episode part two, it just seemed like Andy spent like 45, like 40 minutes attempting like a character assassination of Kenya Moore. Right. And it was just like, hit after hit after clip after recap after this after that and she but mama sat up there looking good cool calm she didn't pop off <coughs> on anybody she nope. handled herself she's so poised yeah miss usa and so when even with um, um tanya oh you're right you're the, right it wasn't america uh-huh so with Tanya and the um the whole cookie lady incident and she was trying to insinuate that um Tanya's man was cheating on her. She Kenya apologized for all of that. She, you know, took ownership for, you know, her part and what she what she played in that, but it still wasn't good enough. And nope. They're like, so she offers her this apology again, because I'm sure she's apologized multiple times. And then Tanya's like, Well, you only apologizing because we're here. And she's like, no, nah, girl, I apologize to you like multiple times. Right. <laughs> you know? So stop. Yeah. Um, Kenya's also a wordsmith. In the first episode or the first reunion, um, she, she read, can't, um, Nini, when Nini tried to say that she had a surrogate, which to me is really hurtful and off limits. That baby's not even one years old. And you question her motherhood and her maternity. But I thought it was so artful when she was like, oh, well, we know that your children are definitely yours because they look like you. Mm -hmm. Calling her ugly in a very roundabout way Mm -hmm. was very artful. (laughs) I also thought that, you know, um, Portia was cute, trying to be relevant and saying that Eva's titties are socially distancing. But, you know, women who don't have breast augmentations, that's what titties look like. Like, y'all are so pumped up with silicone and fillers that y'all forgot what a real body looks like. Yeah. Um, but I thought she also had a good read with saying that um, PJ looks like Dennis with a bow. Because she does. Because <laughs> no. like, she said the baby was ugly. She said, the baby looks like the baby's father with a bow. Because she always got a bow. But why did that make Portia so mad? It was like, an, it, Portia's reaction was an admission that she thinks that her man is ugly. Yeah, that like children, we talked about that last week. That's not even a read. They kept calling it a read. No, no, that's shade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to tell you you're ugly because you know because you exactly. you're ugly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. The best. But uh-huh. yes. Yeah, so... Dorian, Dorian, Corey, honey, Dorian, Corey. Better get it together. That is a proper shade. So I don't know why they spent so much time like on that and. Anything that um, Nini did, they never held her accountable for anything. Like even down to Portia, um, when Nini was, you know, making those. So Portia had an issue with people talking shit about uh, her baby daddy when they were going through their Mm -hmm. infidelity 
in the aftermath of that and people were making like bestiality jokes which Nini was one of them but she was mad at everybody except Nini for doing exactly right. the things like okay. right I, I and also I'll say this and we can wrap this up because I'm so mm-hmm. over it um I'm much more interested in my second favorite franchise the real house House of Beverly Hills especially since Garcelle Boulay also known as Fancy is on um and I just like watching bitches with like real money. <laughs> but um, I will say this. This is my la- this will be my last season of Your House of Atlanta unless Nini, Cynthia, and one other housewife are gone. They, I think they need to mix up. I like Eva, I like Kenya, I like Portia. I think they need to stay. Dare I say it, Candy can also go. I know that she's like get, HBI. They won't get rid of Candy. She, she, she's the peach holder. She's the center line. They'll keep, I know they'll keep Candy. But I will say at the yeah, very they, least. Yeah, they keep giving her spinoffs too. I know. At the very so. least, I think that um, Nini and Cynthia Bailey can both leave. And I'd be totally fine. Yeah, I would say. I would say Nini is the biggest one who should go yeah because it's like, not she fun should anymore go. yeah i mean i do like nini i've i have liked her you know because she has you know that energy but the, for a long time she's only been mean girl and not just mean nasty nasty it's got so nasty. nasty and so rude so nasty so rude <laughs> yeah but yeah. let's move on all right. Well, this week we have a special little treat for you guys. We um, actually did a interview, which we've been doing more of. Um, this is with a um, United States refugee from Nigeria who is um, named Idafe Aporo. So we did an interview with him about his work, about how he fled uh, Nigeria seeking asylum in the United States, and what his journey through life has been like here. So I I think it's a really important issue and topic that's not often discussed within the LGBT community, especially the um, you know the Black community. And I think that his story is so compelling and important, and we definitely want to share that with you guys. Yeah. So take a listen, and we'll be right back. Hello, listeners. It's Justin and Maurice from Category Is, and this week we have a very special guest. His name is Idafe Okporo. Uh, Mr. Okporo is an LGBTQ activist, author of Bed 26, a memoir of the off-Broadway show Bed 26 play. He's the executive director of the RDJ Refugee Shelter in Harlem, and he considers himself a bridge. He teaches leaders and organizations how to inspire people and grow meaningful communities. He has spoken to world leaders at the UN, educational institutions, and Fortune 500 organizations. I'd like to introduce our listeners to Idafe Okporo. Hi, please tell us about yourself. How are you? Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to be with both of you today. I am kind of good, but we're in the middle of a pandemic in New York City, so we're dealing with the way it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Um, So if you could just tell our listeners about yourself a bit, introduce yourself, your cause, uh, so they can get familiar with you. So 
I am an African. I'm from Nigeria originally. <laughs> and the category is African readiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I consider myself to be a storyteller and an LGBTQIA activist. So I left my country in 2016 because I could not continue to live in my country due to persecution I suffer for identifying as a member of the LGBTQIA. Community. In 2014, the government of Nigeria passed a law that criminalizes same-sex relationship by 14 years imprisonment. So this made it difficult for me to exist as a person. And I founded an organization in Nigeria that was fighting for gay men to have access to healthcare treatment because after this law was passed, it became very difficult for gay men to access healthcare treatment. So I out of when I came to the US once. I was granted asylum and released. Then I started my life in America. So I didn't know that there's like a lot of things I don't know about the United States of America before I came here. And when I came here, I'm just trying to navigate a life as a black gay man who lives in this United States. <laughs> yeah. So if you could, um, um, Idafe, could you tell us a bit about what it was like growing up in Nigeria, in a culture, uh, in a, a society with government laws that did not allow you to exist as a, as a gay man? So when I was growing up, I had a very good childhood as a young person. I was the last in a family of four. I pretty enjoyed the days of like being called mama's boy and what have you. But soon as I got into the age of knowing between good and bad, everything just changed because I was discovering my sexuality. I went to a boarding school and I was like, I said, come by members of my class. They tried to report me to the school authority that I was trying to be sexual with another boy and kind of blackmail me, quote unquote. My parents said that this was disgrace to them, that they have to cure me from this sickness I had. So they took me to the Abalis to try and like turn me from gay to being straight. And I don't know, maybe it worked for two, three years. And I find myself in similar situation again. And they took me to the church to try and cure me from being gay, like pray the gay away. And there was a point of my life I wanted to become a pastor because I was just tired of all these things that was happening. I said, if I can be something different and acceptable, I want to be that thing until I discovered that all I was just doing was just punishing myself constantly trying right. to change who I was and I wasn't changing. There was this thing that happened that really made me say that I'm not going to try and hide anymore. But my first year in college, I was dating a girl. We had a relationship for about a year or so. So one day I went on online to try and look for somebody. I think it was in 2008 or so, 2009 to look for somebody. There's this app they call Manjam. You use it in Europe and in like Arabic countries. Okay. So online, I met these guys that said they're also gay. I don't know anything about being gay. They sent me messages, asked me for my role and things like that. I'm like, okay, I will go and see this guy in the town. So I took a cab, I went to see this guy. When I got to town, he welcomed me like, hey, how are you? Took me to his house. When I got into his apartment, then I discovered I was under a siege. Three guys oh came God. out 
three guys came out from the closet and things like that. Mm-hmm. They stripped me naked. They were beating me up. They took my ATM card. They went to the ATM while they held me on hostage, took my pin, collected all the money I had in my account. When they came back, they continued beating me and they told me to run and don't look back. So I, oh I, I told them that, am I going to run out naked? They said, I have to run. And they threw my underwear to me. I was wow. I literally begged for money on the streets to get back that day. When I got back, I said that I'm never going to try and see a guy again. It was like then I became a pastor. After some time I discovered that it was still like me tormenting myself. That was when I said to myself that this is who I am and nothing is going to change me. Mm-hmm. That was when I fully came out as gay. And since then, it has been a journey of discovering who I am and the spaces I occupy. Okay. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, that's, that's like an amazing kind of story. It's just, you know, just hearing that level of kind of violence and, you know, isolation going on. Um, so I'm from the South, um, the Southern part of, of the United States. And, you know, it's a similar kind of very conservative environment and very repressive almost where, you know, you just are afraid to you know exhibit who you are and be who you are so in that um environment that you were in how did you build community how did you identify you know other people who who were gay and you know kind of you know lift each other up and build each other up so when i was looking for somebody i didn't see anybody on the internet i didn't Mm -hmm. see pictures videos Nothing to show that gay people exist until I moved to Abuja, Nigeria, the metropolis. Mm-hmm. And in Abuja, we had like an underground gay community. Right. And the underground gay community is like guys we dress up as guys and come to a party. And when we get to this party, people can dress in drag and things like that. But the purpose of that is for them to be able to do IV testing because it's difficult to get people to test. So it's during this like underground ballroom events that people get tested. I have a master's in nutrition and most most gay men, they're like illiterate about how HIV is being transmitted. That was when I joined and created the organization called International Center for Advocacy on Right Health to create access to HIV treatment for gay men. That was the work that led me to being in Nigeria because when you are very open about your sexuality, you are the target of your mm-hmm. position in Nigeria. And Abuja right. is like northern Nigeria. And in several northern states in Nigeria, gay people are being punishable by Sharia law, being stoned to death. So I, I found community but I also found a very great opposition because the opposition that, that, that led me to flee my country. In 2016, the year I left Nigeria, they came into my apartment, they dragged me out on the street, they were beating me up. They did the walk of shame. They tied bells on my waist and my leg out naked. And they were just singing, this gay were found out were going to kill him. Children were clapping, mothers were sweeping brooms behind my leg, spitting on my body, beating me up. I blacked out. When I woke up, I found myself in a clinic. It was in August of 2016. 
Mm -hmm. I could easily get a visa to the United Arab Emirates, so I flew to Dubai. When I was in Dubai, I couldn't seek asylum there because Dubai does not sign the 1991 Refugee Convention document. I returned back to Nigeria. While I was in Aydin in Nigeria, I got a visa to come to the United States for History Institute LGBTQ Leadership Conference. While I was waiting to come to the U.S., I won an award from AVAC. They provide microbial vaccines here in the United States. And that award puts my life in more danger. They pasted posters of me on the street saying that I should be brought down dead or alive because I am promoting this Western homosexuality in the Muslim-dominated community. That was when I took all the money I had in my account and bought a flight travel to the US. But I went to Cairo first. I stayed in Cairo for some days and I traveled to JFK. When I got to JFK, I don't know anybody in the US. I've never been to this part of the world before. Yeah. Nobody in my family have ever left Africa. Wow. So when I got to JFK, I walked to an immigration officer. I came here sitting outside. Wow. And, and could you tell us a bit about what your expectation of coming to the United States was like um, versus the reality of what coming to the United States was like as an asylum seeker? You know, this is the most funniest part. That I'm glad you asked me this question. <laughs> Everybody living outside the U.S. have uh, a fantasy of what the United States is. Because the U.S. is very good in marketing himself to people outside the U.S. And even I will, I was, later on, I will talk about what it is to be somebody inside the U.S. and now viewing what it is outside the world. So before I came to the U.S., only thing I saw about being a Black person in America was on TV. And it's Aaron Williams, Jay-Z, mm -hmm. and it's actors like Denzel Washington. And I see New York, the bridges, and... Chicago, everything I saw about America is like you coming to America, those different lenses of like movies and things like that. I, I, I had a fantasy view of America and everybody wants to come to this land because like you have promised the freedom that mm -hmm. you have never seen for the rest of your life. But when I came to America and asked for protection and they have to put handcuffs on my hands and my legs, throw me in a bus, and drove me to a jail. Then I'm like, this is not the America I have been hearing about. But when I got into jail, it was even more terrifying. So it was terrifying in jail because they, I saw what I was seeing in movies, people in orange uniform, people in blue uniform. I was so scared, like something bad is going to happen to me. But it was very different from what I thought. I came here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because my um so my partner is an immigrant as well and he was he basically tells me how his view of what America was was just so different than than um you know kind of what people imagined it to be, kind of like what you said and just he said that um really seeing uh poverty here was was shocking because in the movies on TV we you know portray this image that everybody's rich <laughs> and so he thought everybody here was rich <laughs> we, jo we, jo we joke in nigeria sometimes that hey my guy you are going to america that means you are going closer to god 
funny. It's funny. So when I came here and saw that there's inequality, people sleeping on the streets, mm-hmm. there's yeah. poverty, and it just dawned on me that it was a different perception I had of America. And now I try to tell people that are coming to America that you have to be prepared mentally because, you know, in, in, as an immigrant, you have three suitcases. One suitcase is the suitcase you brought to America, your culture, the people in Africa, in Nigeria, they are respectful, people are hardworking, people are resilient. Then another suitcase is like this American suitcase of like, uh, uh, is the government responsibility to take care of people, people have the right to have freedom and things like that. But this third suitcase is like, you have to choose what you want to put inside the suitcase. Me, I choose to put, I don't, I don't want to put those barbaric views of like religious sentiment, traditional views of who is a man and what a man should look like. But mm-hmm. I choose respect, hard work. And in America, I choose liberty, freedom. I put them together. I'm an African living in America. So I have to carry this third suitcase of both all the qualities I get from this person, get from this person. Great. Um, if you could tell us a bit about um, your new memoir, it's called Bed 26, a memoir of an African man's asylum in the United States. Um, could you tell our listeners a bit about what they could read in your life and when you came to America? Yeah, so Bed 26 was my bed number when I was in the detention center. So in America, all arriving alien, when you arrive in America, you have been given an alien number. An America system as always degrade people just to numbers. Like Immigration right. Detention Center was created to detect Cuba and Asian migrants from coming to the US. Because during 1981, when the Reagan administration, the internal memos that they found showed that this Immigration Detention Center was to deter Asians that were coming to America to seek protection. They bundled them into detention center to punish them and tell them that you are not welcome here. And detention center has been increasing from 1981 to what it is under the current administration. In Trump administration, 45,000 immigrants have to be detained each day in America. So I wanted to paint a picture of what is life like inside a detention center for a migrant. Because the day I got a pizza for a dollar, I celebrated. I didn't even know that pizza was a dollar. Because we're inside the detention center. We used to work inside the detention center. I used to work for a dollar a day. And wow. I, I worked 31 days to make $31 to place call from the detention center. Life was very hard. But the reason why I wrote the memoir was to give my younger self, that guy that was scorning the internet, a representation of somebody being gay as an African. I was the first Nigerian that wrote a memoir about being a gay person to give them something to say that you are not alone. Somebody like you exists there. And our stories need to be told. Came across a quote that says that if a lion never learns how to tell his story, the hunter will always take glory. So I learned how to tell the story of being a gay African who is also a migrant here in the United States to mm-hmm. give other migrants, LGBTQ people, a picture of somebody that was able to go through the process and was successful at it. Wow, very good. 
Um, so my next question for you is, you know, listening to your story and, you know, reading about, you know, all the things that you went through um, in your journey to, be, to coming to America, um, you know, just looking back on that experience and being detained once you got here, everything that happened in Africa, um, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay inspired to want to tell your story? This is the, the quote I leave by says that our struggles can either paralyze us or energize us. The choice yes. is ours. If you look back to the struggle of the generation before us, what they went through for us to be able to exist as Black people in America is a lot. We give up now. We're telling the generations that are coming after us that we don't care about their welfare. Because the ability for a black man today to work and make income is because of the struggles of our Euro's past that we shall not forget. So I think about the future and what would life be like in 200 years from now from another black gay immigrant that is coming here. And if we don't play our part in telling the stories of the struggles we have gone through, what will they look onto? These stories will be eliminated. So. I don't want to allow our stories to be forgotten. And that is the motivation I have. That if I die today, I can I can say that yes, my story has been documented and is good enough for another generation to pick from and walk from. Wow, that's that's really inspiring. And I think it's really important for everyone to think about that in our own lives. Like we all have our own stories. We all have our own past that got us here, but it's, it, you can use it to motivate you and help affect change for future generations. Uh, just one more question, Adafe. Um, what can members of the LGBT community and our allies do to help the cause of um, you know, asylum seekers who live in countries that are hostile towards LGBT people? What can we do to help um, from here? So, I work as the executive director of Aridiji Refugee Shelter in New York City. We are the only shelter in New York City that provides housing for LGBTQ asylum seekers and refugees. But like I would say that awareness is a big issue because LGBTQ people in America, a lot of them have already gotten freedom and they think that that is the end of the struggle. But the fight right. against one of us is a fight against all of us. It is the responsibility for us to free everybody for us to be able to walk on the street and be recognized as people. And if one of us is not recognized, none of us is being recognized. So in the United States, yeah, LGBTQ asylum seekers see are the most marginalized of all. Like if you look at the border crossing and the wall that they are trying to build, that is also infringing on the rights of those LGBTQ people that are fleeing from countries yeah, they are being persecuted coming to America to seek protection. So when we pass immigration policies, we're also hurting people that are part of us. So at home, we have to vote for leaders that can be able to pass laws that will protect the most marginalized in our community. Secondly, when we say we're celebrating pride, we're giving a representation to people who are seeing that this is who they can be if they achieve freedom. So we should make wow. pride more accessible to people who are in countries that do not have access to do it because they will be criminalized for it. We need to create favorable policies for immigrants. It also affects LGBT migrants.
Great. It sounds good. I love that um, quotation by you. Our struggle may either paralyze us or energize us. The choice is ours. Adafe Ekporo. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Give <laughs> the big sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, author of Compassion is Worth More and Bed 26. Um, thanks for joining us on this episode, sharing your story. Um, could you tell our listeners where they can find you and your works and everything that you're working on? The easiest place to find me is www.adafeokboro.com. I write a blog very often about life as a gay black man in America. And I'm going to continue writing as much as I can. But I think that my website is like the best place to reach me. I am on social media, all social media with the same Adafi Okboro. But I really think my website is the place to reach Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Idafe. Um, I'm, it was such a pleasure to meet you and speak with you. And I think your work is so important. And we at Category is really supported. And we can't wait for our listeners to hear. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Have a nice one. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. So that was our interview with Adafe Okporo refugee from Nigeria. I love that quote that he gave us. Um, our struggles may either paralyze us or energize us. The choice is ours. So thank you to Adafe for coming on the show. Um, be sure to check out his website. He has a couple projects listed there. It's adafeokporo.com. We'll post the links and everything in our show notes and on our social yeah. media at, at Category is Pod. And don't forget to follow us on YouTube. You can get everything Category Is Pod related at www.categoryispod.com. Yes. All right, cool. That takes us to our next segment of the show. It's time for... I said... I said what I said. <laughs> All right. I'll go first. So okay. my, I'm going to keep it real quick. You know, um, this is like week eight or nine, maybe, of the virus. And I feel like... I understand, right? Because I'm gonna be honest. Like, have I socially distanced to the letter of the law? No. Do I have a, a bay or boo I might have seen? Maybe. It's hard. I get it, right? Like, you want to see friends. You want to be. You want to see people. It's hard to be isolated. But I do want to just kind of say that some people are being reckless and careless, and it's too much. All these photos of people at the boardwalk this weekend really had me upset. Like, I feel like I'm the only one who's actually taking socially distancing, like, mildly seriously. Mm -hmm. I have lots of friends who are taking it super, super seriously, and they make me feel guilty, right? I mean, you should have, because... Stop! What do you mean? <laughs> Listen, mm -hmm. I'm, talking, you know. I'm talking to one person, and dating during this is hard. That's but, another topic for another day. It's a, another topic for a whole other day. <laughs> but that's the only person I've seen outside of. But how many people he's seen? How? He better not have seen nobody. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know your life don't have to be them. It's been out here being reckless, like Candy from Real Housewives of Atlanta, who just had her birthday. It was not socially distancing. Like you turned like some arbitrary number. It wasn't even a milestone birthday, and you out here 
truckloads of people. You got Tiny out here with her lightened eyes, twerking. For what? I see invitations for children's parties. People are just yeah. off here acting reckless. And I, and, I, and I get, like, I'm not trying, I know that the police force has been attacking or targeting the black community potentially more so than the white community but also about a lot of the way that that information has been presented has been skewed so i can't really evaluate it fairly mm-hmm. but it's just i feel like black folks are out here acting indignant and not giving no plus like we don't survive slavery we want to survive the room too you know what i mean like let's take this seriously yeah my whole thing is i don't want these past nine weeks to be for now right and I get it, bitch. I want to go to the beach. I want to see my friends. I want to twerk up on a pole and do all those things too. Do the barbecue and the rooftops and all the fun. But we got time in the game. Like, let's not forget like how far we've come. Let's not just right. give it up because you're tired. And it's it's hard for me to like say I said what I said to these people because I also understand the struggle. But like, let's just lock it down. There'll be, a, there'll be summer next year. Go out here and play. Go to these bars if you want. You might not see next summer. Like, let's take it serious, you know? And I said what I said. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> All right. So my, I said what I said for this week. Um, I'm not going to name any names. I'm just going to keep it very generic. But people will know what I'm talking about. So, in my essay, what I said is that kind of alluding to Issa and having like a by any means necessary mentality where people just want to do whatever they got to do to get where they want to go and where they want to be is great to have this drive and this motivation and determination to want to achieve your goals. However, you can't be doing some of these things that y'all are doing to get there. Like people are leaving very successful careers to- That they built from the ground up. That they built from the ground up, like entrepreneurial, like (laughs) success story, who have been on major platforms, being able to tell their story and what they've gone Oprah. through to get there. <laughs> I ain't naming no names. <laughs> but they are willing to reduce themselves to a fake stage TikTok romance in order to get some clicks and some likes and some followers. Um, followers. <laughs> like, girl, it is not worth it. It is not worth it. Because at the end of the day, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And maybe you, I don't understand, I just don't understand the mentality of it. Like, do you think of the repercussions of this? Like, in 10 years, will it have been worth it? You know, it's very Hollywood. It's a very very Hollywood mentality. mm Mm-hmm. But Hollywood is full of fake people. (laughs) And people who... Yeah, I'm not going to go on Hollywood. (laughs) They don't don't address um, 
issues up front. It's very easy. It's, they're, yeah. they're not confrontational. They want to act like, you know, I, I was a co-host or something and now I'm not co-host and I'm not going to address it. I'm going to start my own thing. And when someone brings it up, I'm going I'm to read them. Ooh, child, we, we having too much conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, just think about the future. And if your goal is only to amass a certain amount of followers, to amass a certain amount of clicks, and that's your most important goal, then like Oprah said, you need bigger goals. Mm, that's the word. And I said what I said. All right. I like that. That was really, you kept it so cute. You kept it so cute. <laughs> I, <laughs> I keep it cute or put it on mute. Yeah, because we could have gotten really not cute, but that's, yeah, not, and that's not the category is brands. It's not, brand. but, it, but, it's, <laughs> but it's other people's brand. And I think that in some subtext that we're get, alluding to, like people think that just because they have a bigger platform or that they have a certain amount of followers, that they have this level of clout and they can say whatever they want to say without fear of being checked. And when you get checked, then you say something to try and minimize the importance of someone who doesn't have that level of followers or that amount of followers or that platform. So you know what it is at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah. in the exclusive from that phage is returning, a hit dog will holler. Will holla. <laughs> <laughs> a mess. <laughs> that was a word friend that was a yeah. word well, let's move okay. on to something more positive yeah let's, let's lift it up it's time for <laughs> tens, tens, tens. tens across the board, the board. <laughs> okay so my tens this week goes to the nonprofit organization heading up by Jay-Z and Philadelphia's own Meek Mill called <laughs> the Form Alliance he just had a new baby. Oh, with like somebody named Keisha. I don't know. I don't know. But congratulations to him as a new father. Happy Father's Day is coming up soon. It is. But also congratulations to you for what you're doing for, you know, it's not at the level of Kim Kardashian in terms of justice reform or, or, or criminal justice reform, rather. But mm -hmm. um, it's helping the immediate need uh, for what's happening. Personally, from the, the virus and how it's been affecting the world, there are two communities or groups that I've been most concerned with personally because I feel like they're just sitting ducks. And that is the prison population and those in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have people who haven't even been charged with crimes in America who could not afford bail, who are sitting in prison. And it's essentially a breeding ground and a waiting ground to contract this virus because you have COs and other prison employees who are in and out and having contact with the general public and potentially affecting prisoners who are, cannot leave this confined space. So the rates for COVID infections in prisons and in nursing homes is exponentially higher than that of the general public. Also, I will have note that um, the Navajo tribe and population um, has now exceeded the ratio for COVID uh, infections of New York City. Um, again, but these are insular groups who are isolated and confined. 
So that is something that information that has to do with transmission of the um, infection, rather, of the disease. However, back to my tens, I want to commend um, Jay-Z and Leaf Mill for forming this nonprofit and partnering with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey to um, get $10 million raised, and they're going to donate 10 million masks to um, evenly distributed to all United States prisons so that inmates can have masks to protect themselves. I do think that this is an important effort. I think that, you know, our criminal justice system and people who are imprisoned are often forgotten about and um, deemed lesser than, and that's not the case. These are people who, yeah, they may not have made bad choices, but they're serving the time for those choices and our prisons need to be about rehabilitation and they're not. And I think that it's unfair for these people who may have made bad choices to have to pay with their lives through a virus. And I think that this $10 million and providing 10 million masks is a great start. I think a lot more needs to be done, but I really do congratulate Jay-Z and Meek Mill for bringing awareness to this often forgotten population of American citizens. So tens to you. You know, I went on <laughs> the Kim Kardashian, the Skims website to get me some masks. Cause she launched her line of uh, reusable masks. Yes. It's like four <laughs> masks for like $28, I think, maybe 25 Not bad. They're new but, color. They match your skin tone. Yeah, they're tonal. <laughs> and so they are sold out <laughs> completely. They sold out in like an hour. Wow. Yeah. So I got, I'm on the wait list for mine. Okay, so wait list. Whenever they, whenever <laughs> they come in, I'm going to get mine. But 10 yes. for y'all. So my 10s this week is going to. Um, the cast and crew of How to Get Away with Murder, because they just had their hey. series finale on Thursday, and it was everything. Like, it was so good. It was so good. Like, that is how you do a finale, because every character's story arc ended in a way that was perfect for their character. And it made sense. It wasn't like the Game of Thrones finale. How about my Game of Thrones <laughs> my house targaryen t-shirt um so it wasn't like the game of thrones finale where it just didn't make sense but every story made sense and it ended in a way that was perfect because the name of the show is how to get away with murder but so in the end uh viola davis's character is on trial for all the murders that happened <laughs> throughout the whole Ooh. series and I was oh like, wow well, hold up, because she actually never committed a single murder. She never murdered anybody. Yeah, I mean, she might have been accessory after the fact, but she or, wasn't. Or an accomplice. Yeah, but her, um, all her charges were murder one. I'm like, oh, no, mm. you can get her on murder one for that. But, um, but yeah, it was good. So the show was influential. It was a Shonda Rhimes um, show, and Viola Davis was the first Black woman to win a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress. The series won um, American Film Institute's Television Program of the Year, numerous uh, NAACP Image Awards, and GLAAD Media Awards for the LGBT representation, as well as yes. two, um, two Screen Actors Guild Awards for Outstanding Performance in a Drama Series. Like, it was amazing. It was good. Really good. You know, I, I stopped watching it, but I'm gonna go back and finish because I I think I stopped watching about three seasons ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it was um, a little drawn out because it's hard when you have a show like that because the kids were supposed to be in law school. And it's like... As someone who went to law school, I'm like, y'all are hella... Not, I mean, there's older people who go. But also, like, that first year of law school lasted, like, what all three years should have been. It was really like, unrealistic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. And then... Um, but it's hard when you have a show that's, like, where you can track time like that. It's hard for it to maintain the continuity sometimes. So, because right. people are like, well, how... Law school is only three years, but this is the sixth season. Like, what's going on? But it was good. Like, it wrapped up really, really nicely. So... You'll probably enjoy it. Enjoy it. So tens for y'all. Auntie Viola Davis. Yes. And Shonda Rhimes. I'm gonna miss them on oh, Thursday right. nights though. Um, yeah. Well look, Shonda gotta come up with something new. Wow. Because she has a certain gift, I will say. She's very good at what she does. Yeah. But thank you guys for joining us for another cat <laughs> another episode of Category News. <laughs> Thanks for listening and watching on our YouTube channel. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Category Is. Be sure to like, rate, and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all things social media at Category Is Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can contact us at categoryispod at gmail.com. Check us out on the web at categoryispod.com.